0: Bob, 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 Bobby, Bob, Bob, hey Bob, 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 Bob,
1: Bobby, Bob, 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 Oh my God, bop bop I'm proud of you, Bobby, Bob, Bob, All right, Bobby, Bob, Bob, hi Bob,
2: Bob, Bob,
3: Bob, Bobby.
0: Uh, actually it's Bob. That's a lot of Bobs. This, Bob, in particular, is Bob Macla, your host of Two Degrees of Bob, our little podcast, full of chat, chatter, insights, stories, all that kind of stuff. So today's guest, we have Larry Zeno. Um, if you are of a certain age, and for instance, my niece Hannah, 20 years old, going into her junior year at the University of Maryland, when she was about four or five, I think, maybe even younger, she watched a uh, Disney game show called Off the Wall that ran for two years. And the host of Off the Wall was my friend Larry Zeno, who uh, I ended up meeting a few years after he did Off the Wall. He was um, he was actually a, one of the stars of a show that I created and wrote at a, early internet entity called Digital Entertainment Network, a.k.a. The Den. Google it. There's lots of uh, stories surrounding that place. But uh, I created a show called Frat Rats, and Larry played one of the Wake and Baker brothers, um, a pair of pot-smoking water polo players. Um, And Larry had that uh, star quality. He was was awesome. And uh, super smart, and I'm just not even going to tell you much about the guy because I, I think you need to hear his story. And it is a good one. So here we go. Here's my conversation with my friend Larry Zeno.
2: We are being recorded. Uh, yes, we
1: are one. We
2: are one. Okay, man. How are you feeling today?
1: I'm all right. Uh, you know, I got really bad arthritis. So this this weather out here in Cali right now is like overcast and shitty, you know what I mean? What is, so, the, arth-
2: what is the arthritis feel like? How, you're only 41 years old? How old are you?
1: Yeah, I'm uh, 40, just turned 41, but I've had juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, I guess, since I was in high school. I just didn't get it diagnosed early enough. So I had a couple of knee surgeries at 25, and a shoulder operation shortly after that, uh, like sparked the juvenile rheumatoid factor in me and blew me up. So I've been having a lot of trouble walking, and you know it's been something my whole life. You know, plus I was a boxer and stuff, so my hands paid a bit of a price and. Every once in a while, I mean, I'm doing a heck of a lot better than I used to be, dude. I was, like, a year ago, I was... If you had known me a year ago, which you did know me a year ago, (laughs) but if you would have seen me a year ago, you would have... You would have done what my lady did for me. She said, enough is enough, and I can't watch you live like this. And, you know, I've got a cane. I can't even get up to go to the bathroom. My arthritis is so bad. And I wasn't smoking as much weed as I had in the past for financial reasons and stuff, and I went to the doctor. He got me on a couple of things. I weaned myself off of it, and at the end of the day, I'm... A
2: couple of things? Well, what do you mean a couple of things? A couple uh, antidepressants, painkillers? He,
1: he put me on uh, prednisone, which
2: yeah.
1: is really bad for you, and it, it, right out of the way, it was great for the first couple of months, but, you know, I was on it for six six years back in the day, and, you know, it gave me a my, my stomach lining was ruined. I had upper and lower uh, GIs happening, what's going on, ulcers and uh, overall it wasn't something I could be up on a ladder doing aquariums. You know, the aquarium jobs busted me, dude. It was hard work, man. It was up and down a ladder, carrying buckets, you know, it wasn't just using my brain, which I would would have preferred. I was physical hands on.
3: Like yeah. daily
1: hands on working my ass off, dude.
3: For, 30, for yet, how many? For how I was long?
1: Suicidal, dude. I was about a year oh. ago after 15 years of doing that job, I had I had pigeonholed my thought process into a spot where I didn't see any any quality of life that I could have, man. I just felt like a loser. I felt like God, I you need had a job.
2: You, had, you just, had a big you had a big clientele though, didn't you? You had a didn't you have a thriving
1: business? Oh yeah, but the problem was I couldn't. Do the work anymore, and uh, basically I had to train another guy to replace me, man. I had to I had to train another guy to take my job, just because I love my clients and I, you know, I didn't want to leave them with anyone. So I had to ride around with them for months until I could. They were comfortable with them and everybody was on the same page. And you know, you got alarm codes and you know, keys to people's houses. And these are these are no slouches, dudes, so you, you you have to have someone that's on the up and up, man. And, yeah. So I went through this whole thing with your arthritis that as of January 1st this year, 2015, I, because other people loved me more than I loved myself, my whole family had an intervention in me. You can't do this job. You got to go get help. You got to do something different. We can't watch you like this. Everyone just ganged, ganged up on me, basically. And I'm, you know, I'll never be a 10 when I'm walking around. But I am definitely mentally a ten, and my body's at like a seven or an eight. And when that wow. happened, that's that's when I turned it on. You know, I had I had all that shit happen last year. Man, I was so depressed. I was almost suicidal. I was never suicidal, but you know, I can see where those feelings could come over yeah. somebody. Man, you get yeah, that's how it is. And I had my grandfather die, who you know died, who raised me for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And I lost a best friend, pretty much from high school, and, and another good friend close to me. And I, after everybody got together around January for the funeral and stuff, that's an, another intervention. Hey, Larry, what the hell are you doing? What, where's uh, where's our buddy Larry from Disney? Where's where's Larry, man? Why are you doing this? You're all jacked up and shit. And
3: <laughs>
1: so the friends got on me again and, and said, dude, I'll fly back out from Hawaii if you want me to and kick your ass. If I didn't see you doing something different, man, so I got my shit together, man, and so you
2: were away from you were away from any kind of performing for fifteen years, huh?
1: Fifteen years solid, at least.
2: Yeah. No, no, just, uh, from the camera, but you,
1: yeah, cold turkey. Mm-hmm.
2: Was the den, was the den stuff the last stuff that you worked on? <clears throat>
1: um, I think it was. There might have been. A little something after that, but no, I think the den was it. Yeah, you know why the den was it? Because, dude, I had all my eggs in that basket, pretty much. Man, they owed me twenty-five, thirty grand. I'd already shot shit that I was never going to see. All those episodes of Fat Rats that I loved at the end. I never saw any of that shit. You know, I
2: never saw any of that stuff. I don't have a copy of any of it. None of it. There's like one scene of you guys online. I think it's the scene that I towards the end that I didn't even write. All that cool stuff at the beginning. I have I saw I think I saw it once on a crappy uh uh online video player in nineteen ninety nine and it was crap then. You know, with like what YouTube and Vimeo are now that stuff should be on there and I doubt that we can watch. But it's just Langering got there somewhere in in uh entertainment land, limbo.
1: Well, you were so ahead mm-hmm. your... That whole show was ahead of its time, dude. It was a lot of shows that came out afterwards were just taking that thing that you put together and just packaging it in a different way, man. It's your writing style and stuff. Which, by the way, let's bring up let's bring up Mister Macleff for a moment. Who writes a part that has comic lectra, water polo playing, and pot smoking in almost one line? And then I walk in for the audition while I'm working there, who was a water polo player, who knew Carmen Electra, and who does smoke pot. (laughs) That was was a role tailor-made from the gods.
2: Yeah, yeah. That was the beginning of a beautiful, beautiful friendship. Yeah, that was good times. That was a lot of fun. That was when... The things were looking real bright for a lot of people back then.
1: Yeah, man, it was. That was, you know, I had it was just I had all these plans and stuff, you know. It was, I was with Amber if you remember at the time, and I had to move of out, course. and and they just they did my whole you know, and that wasn't the first time I got burned. I was that was like sec my second good burning, dude, because. After that movie that I did with, uh,
2: we all, but before you get to that, on 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 the den, you were not only you were this like one of the most lovable characters on the highest rated show on the whole network, but you also had your own show where you drove around with, with people in limousine. Yeah. So you had two shows you know, that could have, yeah. if they had stuck
1: that out, those
2: two shows, that, you know, could have done something. For limousine your was
1: rad, dude. Cause I, you know. What happened? You know, I was a PA there, and, and Kurt Sharp was the executive producer on my Disney show, Off the Wall. And mm-hmm. after Disney, I needed a job. I I had made money at Disney, but you know, wasn't enough. <laughs> so Did you do I, one I,
2: season I, on that on Off the Wall, or how
1: many episodes of Off the Wall? It was, was uh, 65 shows. We shot in two weeks. They paid me one lump sum, which I had to hire an entertainment lawyer to deal for me because, you know, that goes. And they aired it for almost two, twice a day for two years. Five you shot
2: 65 episodes in two weeks?
1: Six oh shows God. a day, six days a week. I had one oh. day off Mother's Day.
2: Oh, my God. Were you just a, freaking out by the end? Were you a
3: fragile yeah, it was,
1: mess? Yeah, my voice was blunt, I, but, I mean... I, I learned a lot too. You know, I was a new host, man, and Vin Debona, God bless him, was there on set with me, and you know, helping me. Rain, I got it right. I think the first five shows we shot probably didn't go anywhere. Did he so <laughs> so Vin,
2: did, did, Vin, did Vin Debona hire you?
1: Vin Debona is the pretty much the final, the final pass I had to make to uh, to get the job.
2: Did, did, did it, you
1: have a, Did you have any hosting experience at all? Um, up until that, no, I was, man, I was, I had done just the warm-up, and I think that's it. I went in and nailed it off the street and took it from a lot of people that had been trying for a long time. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah, man, there's, it was just one of those things where, oh my God, this, you know, I fell out of the woodwork right in the lap of these people because I was delivering a package for someone that I worked at Singled Out with, Kevin and DeGaro.
2: Yeah, but you were on screen on a daily basis on single out that must have helped your helped your case, right?
1: Yeah, totally, man. And plus yeah. I was going to an audition while I was dropping off this paperwork at the Disney place and they said, Hey, you're an actor? And I said, Yeah and they go, Well man, you're we got this role, if someone mentioned your name, why don't you come back in? So I was actually in Aspen doing the Aspen Comedy Festival as a PA, you know, gigging uh-huh. doing anything I can and uh Met a bunch of great people there too, guys from South Park and oh, John Cleese, and it was just great, man. And uh, I got the call from Disney, hey man, uh, you have one. You know, I went to like six auditions and not gotten a call on the last one. They said right when you get back, we've got another meeting for you. And uh, I went down and I met with Vin personally in his office, nice. and we shook hands and we started shooting, man. It was, it was a blast.
2: Well what's I the do, turnaround I, time on that from the time that you met then to your your shooting for two weeks sixty sixty had, plus Yeah, I had days. about a week.
1: I had oh, about a yeah. week to like grind in and get it nailed. And the thing uh, was is it was dude, it was taped it was taped one after the other in succession and there wasn't any time for me to really screw up. It was all improv and live. So I had to you know, it was great, dude. It was something that anybody would love to do. I, would, I was scraping gum at that point, so if you want yeah, to give me that kind of money to do this, I was in
2: that's amazing and the and the audience you had a live audience, and was it were did they have to sit through six shows in a day?
1: uh, pretty yeah. I used to get in there they they'd switch out the audience sometimes, but usually by the end of the day, man, those people were just as tired as me, and I was thanking them for clapping and laughing and watching me out to do a couple of reshoots. You know it's a big family affair at the end. I'm like, did you guys? I couldn't have done it without you. Yeah, everyone's rooting for me because you know they could, they could see when you're struggling and shit. And yeah, it was a, dude, it was six days in a row it was buff, man. And it's but, you know I don't think they're all like that. I don't know if they all, all the sheets go like that. I've I've done some other stuff that was just as cool and you didn't have to be so rushed. But I mean, I don't know Disney and no,
2: you know, that's that's <laughs> I think that's typical. We were on the Gong Show and they they shot five uh, a week's worth of episodes and. One day. So that's, that's well, probably the way it goes.
1: I mean, for a guy that never wanted to, it's not that I never wanted to get into this business, man. I got, I got thrown into it, man. I was supposed to be in the Coast Guard saving people. I was supposed to, I was supposed to be doing what I felt I was put here to do, which is help, change, or be involved in someone's life the way that people had done to me when I was young. And the way mm-hmm. the doctor put the metal clip in my heart when I was four months premature and two pounds to a six year old mom.
3: Wait, that guy you were you were
1: four months premature? Yeah, I was four months premature. I was one pound eight ounces, two pounds three ounces by the day by the end of the first day, but I had open heart surgery at birth for <sighs> something that is pretty common now. But you know yeah. someone cut I've got a scar on my back to this day that goes ten inches long around the side with no left lap muscle and a metal clip in my heart that's still a quarter of an inch long now, and I was only as big as my dad's hand. And it oh. always amazed me that somebody, you know, it didn't matter what, what in my mind if this guy was religious, it didn't matter. In my mind, this guy could have been a nobody that didn't believe in anything, but he cared about one thing. He cared about humanity. He cared about me. He saved me. Yeah. That's I wanted so, to do that. that. He...
2: You were a miracle baby.
1: That's they say. I guess now today's things are different, and it's not as big of a deal. But that's what I was told, man. And I got into water polo and wrestling, and I wanted to go into the Coast Guard, man, That because that was my strong point. I was athletic, and I was a swimmer, and that was going to be it. Well, hey, man, I got pretty far in the – Initial stages of getting into the Coast Guard, but that open heart surgery at birth ended up being my demise. And then so you alive. you
2: t- you took the steps to to join the Coast Guard. All of them. I
1: passed the ADVAS, flying colors. Went down to San Diego, Meps, processed whole nine yards. Met with the chief med- uh, medical examiner at the very end, and like a lot of people told me, one look at me and no way. Just he looked so at the scars life, on you, or just he looked at your body. Yeah, I've got a huge scar, and they know when they see the scar that I have, that it was a heart surgery. <laughs>
2: yeah. So, An infant no heart surgery. Oh, sh- and you didn't know that ahead of time?
1: I had a feeling, but I would heard they let certain shit go, and I just wasn't willing. I wanted to – it's just – that was my life. That's what I wanted to do, you know. Yeah. And so after was that – was,
2: was that right after high school?
1: That was right after high school. I think I was 19 right then. And, and anyway, a, you, grew, you grew up down the freeway from from where I grew up. You were what high, what high school did you go to? La Puente. I went to Upland High School, but um, I originally before that was in La Puente. Man, I grew up La in La Puente. Puente. From what grade to what grade? Uh, I I think I left La Puente right around sixth or seventh grade, and then oh, so moved out to Upland with my dad.
2: Okay, so and Covina is like maybe smack oh, dab between those two towns.
1: Oh yeah, Covina, those are those are all my todos mi familia que la puente, llámame todos palabras malos, chino, borrego, wey, hijo, mi familia man. I love them to death. All of them out there. They 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 did a lot of great things for me, you know. Again, when little Larry was needing help, you know, so I didn't make the Coast guard. And right that same exact time, my mother overdosed of meth oh. this same week died
3: and
1: died died. Oh. She died she died when I was 19 she had me at 16 so I forget what age that puts her at and then
3: 35 my, wife,
1: my mom's mom my grandma Mima died two weeks later what and so I was just needless to say, going through a little bit of a depressive point.
2: Right, so you got you got turned down from the Coast Guard the same week, your mom OD'd, and two weeks later, your grandma died?
1: Yeah, this was a crushing moment here. Wow. So <laughs> what I was doing was not the best. I was out dating and up late and shit, and I ended up deciding that uh, I was going to move to Newport Beach and you know move out with a bunch of losers and shit and they're not losers are my friends but i was going to go out there and just change my whole thing you know and mm-hmm. start a whole new life and now by this time you know i'm still straight Larry. i've never smoked weed i'm still a pinnacle of health were well, you I, sk- were you a skater and a surfer? i was point, a skater or? gnarly skater and into wrestling and mixed martial arts and
2: mm-hmm.
3: you know i was
1: certified in cpr and now we and Patty for scuba diving, and I had uh, about five hundred, six hundred hours logged in in a captain's log from trying to get my captain's license for sailing. I was on the way, man. I was. You were already a man of many talent. At, at that time, I was, but I had yet to. I had yet to find the true. I always had the true me, man, because I was a. You know, I was a poet from when I was a kid. I, I walked around with poems in my head and stuff, and. Stuff that I'd written, you know, passing life with empty strides takes the blood of many lives. Answer your questions, control your fears, let love flow to betray dry tears. I walked around with this thing from first grade poems that I'd written that were like, I'm going to make every step count. I'm going to be a good guy to people because I wasn't supposed to be here. You know, I'm, if if I wasn't supposed to be here, I'm not going to be a dick. I'm like, you,
2: had that, you had that sense at at, at first? grade in first grade
1: young, yeah i have i have uh, all of my original poems that i wrote up until even through high school i got published in high school i just i have a book of poems that started out innocent you know that got deeper and deeper and eventually my love and my 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 thing man mother gaia and nature and appreciating the subtle sounds you know mm-hmm. like here's another one i wrote as a kid this is this is right, this is before you knew Larry, but this is the layer that you would expect, maybe, I don't know.
2: old, oh, oh, numer- oh. This
1: one I wrote uh, was in like 6th grade. 6th
3: grade. 7th okay.
1: grade. Yeah. Nature has numerous beautiful ways of opening your eyes and brightening your days. Asking for nothing yet giving so free, the soft baby's touch to the shade beneath a tree. It has no battle cry nor a whimper prior to death just the everlasting memory that resides within each breath.
2: Nice, 7th grade Larry.
1: Yeah, 7th grade Larry, love and nature, man. So <laughs> here's my thing that I knew there was a God. I've always believed in a God. I don't have a name for God. It is what it is and will always be in my mind. I have, a very, I have had a very serious relationship with something other, either... Some
2: entity, yeah, yeah, some some larger all knowing, all loving entity.
1: All the creator. knowing the something creator. In, yes. In my dreams I have been at a very early age a lucid dreamer. At a very early age I learned that I was able to do things in my dreams that were maybe different than other people. I began to at an early age have a very, very interesting coach, we'll say.
2: Coach. What do you mean coach? Like in your you're you have a you're
1: having a lucid dream and you and you're
2: and you're uh, you have like a um Yes uh, slowly
1: but surely there was spiritual guide up there? There was yeah. something that would come to me that I knew that it was and to tell you what it looked like now, you would probably say it it was a gray or a small little alien creature. Mm-hmm. But Back in the day when I was a child and innocent and not knowing what was going on, when they first started, it was just a clown with big black eyes and a black suit that would lure me from my dream space to learn of things, learn of very deep things, learn of how the world works, learn of ecology, learn of evolution, learn of man's place in in a very, very important evolving infrastructure of what the universe is. Mm-hmm. And the reason that in this all, okay, because I felt crushed when I didn't make the Coast Guard. I always wanted to know what it would feel like. Well, right before I leave to go to Orange County, this is back in 93, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Across the street from my high school at 2 in the morning, I hear a guy, or I hear six gunshots. And I jump over this wall, I park my car funny, and there's two guys running and a guy sitting there with two gunshots in him bleeding dying out I ran over put my thumb in his heart turn his leg and waited for him he's giving me his will and crap he's dying his blood everywhere you know you and got I your head up. on his heart i got my thumb in in his wound up on his chest oh. to stop the bleeding and i got his leg crutched up on me to v his body to keep the,
3: uh, the yeah, blood in the yeah. center of
1: his body right
3: yeah
1: so he's going out on me, no one's coming to help me, so I, I said, give me your, you want to live, you're going to give your, you're going to talk to your kids, you're going to give them your will, just do me a favor, hold this. So I made him hold the belt with the one hand,
3: Yeah. and
1: I made him stick his own thumb in his hole in his heart, Yeah. and I booked and ran, and right then, I, as I jumped over the wall, there was a cop there. Get on the fucking ground, because <laughs> I blood oh. all over you, man, I thought he was going to shoot me. Oh my and, uh, God! I'm like, I've got a victim with two gunshot wounds and two assailants in dark clothes running westbound down the alley. And he goes, "Turn to the victim." And so I ran back over there, and the guy was half there, half not. They landed the helicopter in my football field in my high school, and and picked him up. And I never found out if the guy lived or if the guy died. But the moral of the story to me was that I got to see what I would have been made of in some of those situations that I might have gotten into in the Coast Guard. I got to see how I would react. And and as far as I'm concerned, man, I felt exactly how I thought it would. And it was a gift to me. It was a half gift from the powers that are to... There's always something that happens for a reason, just because, you know, the whole one door closes, another door opens, all that kind of thing.
2: And that happened. Got, that happened the week yeah. that you got turned down from the Coast Guard.
1: This whole thing with my mother Whoa. dying and the Whoa. gunshots and the whole Whoa. stuff, that's usually the way that my life works. I get things
3: yeah. mm-hmm. in
1: buckles of threes or fours. They kind of get a lot of work done in a weird way all at once instead yeah. of having them kind of stuck out. So after that, I felt like, okay, I, it's a thankless job. You never find out if they live or die. You don't keep that kind of track. You just go out and you do your best, man. And yeah, you, also, you, also gotta, you also
2: you also got to realize that you could have spent 20 years in the co- Coast Guard and never seen anything like that.
1: That's true. I never thought about that, man.
2: Yeah. So you've got that adrenaline rush that you wanted to join for without the, the drudgery that comes with it.
1: Yeah, and I moved to Newport after that and just became what you would think, dude, a fucking kid having a great time, living at the beach, riding a motorcycle, working at Coco's, meeting all <laughs> kinds of people that are still in my life today. Where in Newport, where Newport did you live? Where
2: in Newport did I you lived live? lived in
1: Costa Mesa by Nike Town off uh, 17th Street. And uh, that's where I was out clubbing and my boy Michael Unverfurth, the man said, hey, man, you're crazy looking. You want to come be on it, uh, Singled Out? Just I was out clubbing. And I said, yeah, man, I'll, I'll I'll, be on it. Well, instead of being on it, I was actually dating a waitress in Corona Del Mar that knew all the MTV Singled Out people extensively. And when I showed up and told her, she goes, oh, I'm going to take you down there and we're going to talk to him with me there. Sure enough. I get to go down there with her, I chill, and the next day they give me a job. I'm going to be driving the love van and recruiting (laughs) kids and working for the show, getting paid to go clubbing every single night, and basically get the kids for the show, man. It was my first job. I walked into Coco's uh, and said, (laughs) I quit. And I threw my pink shirt on. pink. It was a peach pink shirt. It was all stinky. And I'm like, I quit this bitch. (laughs) <laughs> and I jumped on my motorcycle, and I never looked back until the day that I met you.
3: Oh, the day shit. that I met
1: you—that was the—that was full steam ahead, Larry. And that thing that you and I did together, right at that—that that thing, the
2: den, dude. Wait, 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 hold on! But we can't go to the den yet. That, so okay. What, what? That? What year was that? Uh, I must, uh
1: let's see. I probably. Uh, let's see. Well, here's the question. Was on, here's Jenny a... was still on it because we ended up casting Carmen later on. Uh, so, you were already, you,
2: the show was already on the air when you when you got the job then, huh? You didn't, oh, you yeah, weren't on Oh, yeah. uh, so you I was knew pretty about much it?
1: On, yeah, I was, I really didn't even know about it. The show had been out for like a year or so. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, but it was still very fairly, fairly new. But it was still popular enough to where it was like, you don't know what that is? And yeah. I was like, no, nah, I, I don't know what that is, man. But when I when I got onto it and got into the scene and saw what it was, I was like, "Wow, dude!" Okay,
2: so this what was the, what was what was the concept again? It was like uh, was
1: it fifty guys <laughs> or guys and girls? Um, it was it was like fifty girls, fifty guys. Yeah. And they had, you know, there was one main person that was trying to choose a guy and girl from each. You know, that was trying to win a date. Yeah. Uh, one of the fifty was trying to win the date with the one picker. Right. So. You know, you usually have one super hot one, and then, you know, you put all the rest of girls in the dating pool. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Uh,
1: It's so you know they gave away prizes and trips and all that. And they would
2: say, and they would say like, uh, all guys who have like,
1: yeah, and I I never got there. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: And so they yeah. would weed out the fifty guys until there was one guy left. But you were always among the group of the fifties from the time. Yeah, that was stuff. that was
1: the whole thing. I never got a date. I was on basically yeah. every single three hundred some episodes or whatever it is. I don't know, and uh, never got a date. Always walked off the first guy, or you know, the in the first round. Then that was the whole thing. I never got a date. I was Larry the loser. Did the, they ever like,
2: let you? Did they ever let you improv lines? Did you? Did you?
1: Or yeah, did we line actually. Kevin, did
2: you walked off?
1: Yeah, um. A lot of times I didn't, but Kevin, the writer, Kevin Indagara, who ended up being involved in a lot of things that I ended up doing, which I believe now I've found that he actually cut me out of the said movie now and replaced his shining self in the way, I believe. (laughs) I think he re-edited the movie, but he used to write lines for us, man. He wrote little extra things and actually wrote skits and you know who shot Piano Boy. He got us all... Speaking lines and stuff where MTV maybe didn't think it was cool at the time, so I'm gonna give him a lot of credit for that. He made yeah. acting and theatrical roles out of parts that could have just been bit shit, you know? Right. He was he was a stud at that. So and, after uh, you did that, how long did you do that for? A year or two? Uh, two years. It was you know the season gets split up in the middle. There's a small hiatus, and that's when I did a ton of production work. Man, I mean, in between the one season that singled out and then when carmen we cast carmen she kicked ass man people loved her so we're like sweet we're getting another round you know what i mean so we had a small hiatus, mm-hmm. and in between that i did like um like basketball rock and jock i did a live sketch with madonna on the uh kids choice awards what and, you know it was madonna and i and uh she goes what. Is I just like to, you know, if I'm ever nervous in front of a crowd, I just like to think of people in their underwear. And so then they cut to me up in the audience, and I'm in my underwear, throwing popcorn, you know. But what I rehearsed it, dude, that I rehearsed it in my in my underwear with her like this, popcorn, popcorn. And then when we went live, I was like, popcorn, popcorn. And I'm throwing popcorn at the kids in bags. I Caused the whole ruckus, man And it was live So they couldn't do anything about it And everybody loved it, too They were like, oh my god That was awesome, man But I waited till I knew There was nothing they could do, dude I rehearsed <laughs> it all perfect And then I fucking bombed them <laughs> <laughs>
2: there, do, you have any,
1: do you have video of that? Yeah, I've got video of everything, dude i got to make a rad little reel I've, You know, I've, I went from not having So I, I got back from doing this movie So after that the guy, Kevin, writes a movie, Land of the Merry yeah. Misfit, George Zotto. We produced this thing out of my house, out of my, you know, three-story condo. Moves all his guys out. All good friends, story,
2: of mine. Your three-story condo where, in L.A.?
1: Yeah, off uh, yeah. uh, Roscoe in the 405, man. We would not afford a rad place, but it was, dude, it was comfortable, man. It was my name and mine and a couple other guys' names, basically my name. And, uh... We shoot this movie, right? And uh, that's too long of a story. But
2: were you, uh, I, were, you, were you were you you were the star of the movie? One of the stars of the movie? I was ensemble,
1: right? I was like a major kind of a string supporting thing throughout the mm-hmm. whole thing. I was right. all throughout it. So for him to get me out of it might be because maybe I just did a shitty job. I don't know. I didn't think I did, but I think it was more so that we had. Uh, we had differences, man. We had problems. At the end,
2: um, were you throwing a little star attitude?
1: Uh, no. He's dude. He's a very unique man, dude, and he had a lot of unique ways of doing shit. And some of them were just, you know, dude. He's a he. He was. It was a harsh, a harsh situation. He. Yeah. He was a writer, and he wrote a lot of these parts for all these people from singled out people that he knew. Carmen was supposed to be in it at one time. Chris was supposed to be in it at one time. And he wrote the rules very specifically to your life. So a lot of these things that I'm telling you about right now, personal yeah. things,
3: he yeah. incorporated
1: a lot of these things into the script. Right. And at the end it was just I don't know, man, I had to get out. So
2: So did you ever see a copy of did you ever see a kind cut of that of the The final at product? one point
1: I saw an early one and it looked pretty bitching. And then now, since, you know, Maria Menounos was also in this before she was anything, just getting her start. I mean, barely not even – she didn't have a start, man. Kevin basically took her and bred her, as far as I'm concerned, into what she eventually became today. And I think the movie is on lockdown, and he he probably has still big hopes that it's going to be great someday, but I haven't even – been able to order a copy of it I've been able to buy a copy of it I mean I've done everything I can just see what if any I'm in you know I think it's
2: so frustrating between that and all the stuff you did again there's no yeah and I I cost me a lot
1: of money for that movie dude I mean I had to pay for my own ticket I did all my own props some of them and you know it was like a it was an independent thing so we all did whatever we could we all worked on it man it was Frustrating for a year, having all these jackasses living in my house, man. Crazy Boston guys, man. You know, it was something else. And at the end, man, I just wanted to see a copy for my uh, hard work and fruits labor. You know what I mean?
2: And never, never happened.
1: Well, not yet. I'm not going to say never, but I'm yeah. I'm just now back where I'm pushing to try and... I want a copy, but I want something, even if I'm not in it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't know how he could have cut me out of all of it. I was in all of, like almost all of the scenes, but if he did, so you you,
2: so you wrapped that that movie up and did you go right into Den from there? How did you get the Den job again? Nah, wrapped
1: did, that up, um, went back and started doing PA work. Right, got mm-hmm. a job with uh, Jeff. You remember Jeff Moore? Yeah, at the Den, Jeff the Elephant. We call him Jeff. Uh, we did a movie with uh, Randy Quaid called Bug Stomper. I think it got. Changed after, but Randy Clay did this little B, B offshoot movie for uh Damani Group DMG Entertainment was the name of it.
3: And you were and, a PA uh, on
1: that, yeah. I was a PA on that, and uh, he's the one that ended up getting the job at the den first and brought me over. But in between that, I didn't have an agent anymore because long story short, the whole length of the time that it took to do the movie and everything else, I lost the agent that I had. And I had to hire an entertainment lawyer to do this gig, so I didn't have an agent. So I got back, was totally on my own, and I sent out headshots. I got the one agent that I liked, said, dude, I like you, Um, come and meet with me. I met with her. She sent me on an edition for uh, Sony PlayStation Cool Borders 3. And I got it, booked it, and was in Alaska by the end of the week filming that commercial for Snowball. for a snowboarder video game, Cool Borders Three. <laughs> I went from not having an agent to booking an agent to doing a fitting, getting the gig, and being on a plane, filming in Alaska.
2: You're that a golden.
1: You're a golden. That was like, all right, man, I can do this thing. I can do this shit because I, you know, after the Disney gig and. This movie, I was like, do I even want to do this anymore, man? Do I Wait, even- so wait,
2: the Disney gig was before was um before all that stuff. Yeah. So you went from doing from hosting that a Disney show for two that was ran for two seasons, yeah. to being to doing PA work all over town.
1: Yeah, PA. I did whatever I could, man. And Kevin was like, you know, this movie's gonna be bigger than anything that he downplayed how cool the Disney thing was. And like, oh, you don't need to do those interviews and don't do that shit. You know, he was basically, I I think, jealous because, you know, when we were in Boston, people, his mom was like, oh, look, it's Larry from Disney. Let me take a picture with him. You know, (laughs) Kevin was just an underground guy that wasn't on TV or anything. And they really downplayed how cool Disney was. I didn't realize how cool that gig was until I was away from them for some period, you know. Yeah, until it was over. Yeah, until it was over.
2: Did they just not renew your contract, or did they
1: not pick up the show? How what, how'd that play
2: out? just um, they did two weeks mean, and never did it again.
1: Well, they just in the, in the clause they had, an, like each 65, each episode could be aired 65 times. So 65 times 65, they aired the thing for they aired the thing for two years, five days a week, twice a day, and only had to pay <laughs> me once. Yeah. So
2: you had no residual about that.
1: No residuals, man, because at that time, the cable, you know it was, the den, right? We didn't have any, there was no, there was 56K modem and crappy cable. There was no, there was no, like, super like, was cable that, and, dude, yeah, no that, that, kind that of cable a,
2: No, but that was a, a Disney cable um, game show, just like, you know, TNT or.
1: Yeah, um, I was around the Tommy world. I got fan mail from, like, dude, all over the place, man. Different countries. People loved me in, like, Italy and, you know, uh, I know some, uh, I met a girl and told her, she was from Brazil, she loved me, Remember, me as a kid. I just love the kids, man, and at the end of the day, this whole thing about the Coast Guard and the whole thing and the meaning of my life and all this shit, man, there's many levels and we can get to other chapters and shit, but at the end of the day, man, I liked making people laugh. I I never I always did but I was a real shy kid, man. I was an only kid and I was really introverted and when I finally got out and was able to be me and watch people laugh with at I didn't care <laughs> and I and I could be in front of the camera and lie to that man, that 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 was like oh God, there is something else. There is a place that I can fill, that I can do. And that's why I'd, when I got burnt on in the industry, I went into aquariums, man, because that made people happy, you know? You, look, you get nature, and I'm, you know, an ecologist, biologist, zoologist, entomologist, and vertebrate zoologist. I know it all. I love it. I appreciate it. And I'm able to make them happy. But now I, I started sucking at that, and I drummed. I was a, My friends, Sloth, man, saved my life right in the middle of that aquarium thing. They took me on the road. I... Indeed, I had so wait, the-
2: wait. After the no, after the, uh, the. So when the den shut down, when that went belly up, you went. Did you go right into aquariums, or did you go into the, the drum tech stuff?
1: I went right into aquariums. You did. Yep, right into aquariums, man. I saw there- a guy I was, yeah, I was a PA on the Dr. Laura show, and I saw <laughs> a guy doing an aquarium where I was going to get some uh, papers filled for the kids to be on.
3: Uh-huh. And I
1: saw a guy doing an aquarium there. My boss now, Howard, or. My my best friend now, but, you know, whatever yeah. he is, he's been all kinds of things, and I I used to do that because I did have my own business in Newport doing that.
2: How did you you had a business doing aquariums in Newport? After, yeah, in Newport
1: Beach, I had, dude, I was a waiter in Newport Beach. I had Current Aquatex, which is my uh, aquarium biz I had up there. I worked at a pet store to get the discount on the goods. And worked at Coco's and had the business. And I had a graphic arts company called Sideshow Inc. That I produced sloths for stickers. That sticker, if you looked on my my Facebook page, it's not there now, but it's this black and white sticker. That's what I produced, you know, in 1994 or whatever. So I'm, that was in, mind you, that was, I lived in Costa Mesa. I'm out here in Woodland Hills doing a pond. And I see that sticker on a croquet set in this guy's backyard. And I go, who's, where did you get that sticker? And he goes, yeah, I just produced her album here. Sloth? And I went, dude, those are my high school buddies. I've been looking for them forever. I, I, where do you have the numbers? He goes, yeah, I got them right here. And I call, <coughs> pardon me, I call Adam, my buddy, the drummer, and I go, dude, I'm looking. I just got your number. He's all stank. I'm. All, I'm looking at a sticker I printed <laughs> twenty years ago. I'm standing in a pond right now. You guys recorded an album here. He's all yeah, dude. We're going on the road. We're gonna to tour with Fuel and, you know, shit. Do you want to go? I'm all. I don't know. He's all. I'm all. When you leave, he's all. Pick you up tonight. Oh. So I. I called Amber and went. Amber, I'm going on the road. And I told my boss too. And I split for a month and a half, dude. Quit everything. <sighs> And drum teched and merched and ended up doing it again, and that's dude, that saved me because it broke me from the monotony, and it was like wow i'm I'm back in the industry, not really, I mean, but I'm in some cool shit, and that yeah, you know, I knew Travis Barker from back in the day, and I knew a lot of cool bands from back in the day, and I was did you know mom. those did
2: you know those guys from your Newport Beach days are going to going to clubs and shows,
1: yeah. That's the yeah. thing, man. One of my roommates was friends with uh, Travis, and I, I loved Travis's drumming, man. He was kind of a little Weasley guy at the time, but he was a stud drummer. And it was always really cool, man. He was in Aquabats. And another band he was in called Feeble, that was out in Corona Del Mar where I worked. And that was, dude, I was, but I was never good enough to be a drummer. I think I am now. I could be a drummer now in a band, but I was just not good enough then. But I, after getting back, I swim went back to the aquariums, man. After all that, I could have probably split and gotten away from the aquariums, but I had Amber, you know, living there. and Yeah. You know, it was, it was back to the biz, man. Back to the biz, back to the bills, back to the normal shit, you know.
2: And have you it been was, in the aquarium biz ever since? Have you had some breaks doing other stuff, or have you been pretty much aquariums ever since then?
1: Um, it was aquariums ever since then until this last, like I said, three, four months ago. Yeah,
3: wow. Holy cow. I
1: I still do do Get Fish. I still do a couple, like Ruth Chris Steakhouse and a few that I really like, three of them, just to keep me honest, you know.
2: Yeah. So now you're you're trying to go a full 180 back into um, some kind of of creative endeavor. That's crazy after 15 years.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. It's it's exciting. It's exciting. It's... uh, You know, as long as I don't have to do any uh, action rules like running, I I can't run. (laughs) I can't run. I can pace. I can stroll casually back and forth and look cool. But if you need me to run or uh, you need me to chase, then I'm going to need a stunt double.
2: I told you, every time I I talk to you, this this movie idea. the more I talk to you, it's been percolating in my brain for a good two or three years. Now I've got to get off my ass and get more forward progress on it after talking to you because it's so perfect for you and your your story and modify it to throw in a little of my story in there, but anyway, we don't we can talk about that at a later date, but right now, I want to hear about um so we got we got a lot of stuff covered, obviously there's a million tiny details that um enhance that whole story but what i want to hear what I want to hear about now is the um now, the lucid dreaming is it now? Is that when you the, the idea was see was planted about the about becoming a, a shaman or piqued your interest about the I, shaman?
1: Yes, yes, I didn't know it. Idea. I didn't, I didn't know it. Uh, I had no idea which direction was it was going to take. I, I will say that the incidences that I'm talking about were there were gaps. There were periods where they when i say they i mean whatever uh whatever they are man I, I can tell you this much the the second time that it happened i was told and this is this is this is the truth okay this is this is what i believe this is what happened you can call me crazy or whatever but at uh, around 6 or 7 i was i believe telepathically in a conversation I was taken to a place where there was a very tall, large, thin, tan, praying mantis looking figure that through its eyes exuded without speaking. That I will one day tell this story. That I will tell the story. And over the years, it became more intricate, and I I always had this was it feeling. The, was it the
2: same Was it the same type of being that revisited you every time in your in these lucid dreams? Was the praying there, mantis-like guy, looking guy thing.
1: That praying mantis creature was only seen once. Mm-hmm. The rest of the time, there were smaller creatures that looked very similar to him. Lighter in color, didn't speak, but he spoke through them to me when, or it. You can call it whatever you want.
2: And this started at around age six or seven and has continued and continue throughout your, your childhood and adolescence?
1: Continued throughout my adolescence. And, again, these were more so riddles and mind games that were set up in me to direct me and get my consciousness to a point that I was going to be able to even digest you know like I said they hit it as a clown for a while later I was able to through meditation and stuff go back to these moments and strip away these layers and see them for what they were what what they are which this is before anyone uh little green men and all that shit just you know okay this mm-hmm. is uh, I this is long before all that, man. that I had no preconceived notions of anything, and nor have have I had any preconceived notions of anything that you'll hear me talking about. I yeah. did not know about what I'm telling you, and
2: yeah. this, wasn't, this wasn't some being that you saw on a on uh, a episode of the Twilight Zone, and then you had a no, no. weird dream two days later.
1: No, no. When you're yeah. having a lucid dream and you can see the shininess of the glare of the eyeballs and you can see the waves around them and you can see there's a there's a chattering almost like you know when you're underneath the water in the ocean you can hear the little crabs all the little k- 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 k, that like a little almost like a turning uh, motor or like something real low but soothing almost like crickets at night kind of a thing
3: yeah, you know yeah. real
1: up and going it was a real you know soothing, like even though I knew I was aware and I was terrified that I was being spoken to, and I knew that this is not a dream because I had mastered lucid dreaming and taken it to a level where I looked forward to going to sleep every night. I could grow old not wake up and have kids in a dream and get mad that I had to wake up, (laughs) you know, (laughs) extensively. how, uh, how, how
2: How often do these dreams occur? Was it a nightly, weekly... Often you
1: know, I lucid like... dreaming anytime I wanted. And um Really you know, meditation and uh, you know, a lot of weird things. You start thinking you're psychic and out of body and all this weird shit, but it's you just become highly in tune with certain things. And it, mm-hmm. as far as the those, I can say that I've had they followed me from different houses. Um, when I moved they they got a little bit more intense, they backed off for a bit and uh when I was, uh, a year before 9-11, I was going out for Limousino, um to do that thing. Remember the college music festival they sent me out to out there
3: mm-hmm. in New
1: York? And uh, I was up in the plane sitting next to, uh, ironically, a guy that was an Air Force pilot. I was sitting there. And uh, they yanked me at, the, I fell asleep and the fuckers yanked me at that level, man. And I woke up. I couldn't believe that they actually did it to me. But I had the full white light. Hey, buddy, here I am. Pull me out. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's been a while since I've seen you. And plop me back in as I was screaming. And everyone looked at everyone looked at me like, Did you get right? And I'm like, Just making sure we're not on the mothership. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Were you so had you taken a nap or were you completely yeah, just awake in the time? Passed out for a second.
1: Yeah, it passed yeah. out for a second. But the the story is much bigger. This this whole thing this whole idea and this whole everything, people can take it in a billion different ways. At the end of the day, um I always knew that there was a riddle of life. I always knew I always had a feeling that we got here to this level of of our evolution you know, through so many different avenues and so many different hands that could have been apart. But what is that major riddle? You know, I was astronomy and how things fit together. And you know, I just knew there were some riddles, something that I was always looking for, man. And I uh, basically fell upon what I now know is is a shaman. I, I think that you probably helped turn me on to this. I was figuring this out around the same time i'd met you really and i had no idea that shamans do have a place with uh what you want to call extraterrestrial alien transcendentalism the transcendental state that i need to get to be in to have had these things happen the appreciation for their hand and i think wanting to help not wanting to get involved that much but for us to experience things on our own because they themselves like anybody would like someone to go hey wow that's cool with you know
3: mm-hmm. someone
1: that could trip on the same level as them something to you know go wow can you can you believe how cool this is look at this and i and i the messages and the ways that they were over the years um you know there's a place where angels aliens devils, shamans, uh there's a place where it all fits together in a nice little bubble, but the problem is people try and get there too many different ways. Yeah. You know? And you,
2: and and your path along the way in, in these lucid dreams has, has uh shown you the how it all how the puzzle fits together.
1: I I do believe that I don't know how the puzzle fits together, but I can clearly see that We are, as a species, not alone in consciousness. The holographic theory of the universe, the way that consciousness can, I think, not have any bearing on distance, space, time, I think consciousness occupies a very important small bubble in everything. And that, you know, it's our job, I think, most importantly to freaking enjoy it. And I think that we're if 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 I'm looking down at me and I created me, call it whatever you will, or had a hand in ring whatever it was, and you look down at us. I mean, I know that we're cool. We have computers. I know I know there's plenty of good people and I'm not saying that the world is, you know, uh Oh, we're all screwed. You just need to look where the good is. The world's not bad. You know, I love and I, I I want it to be like that. But at the same time, if you look at us, I think we look like a bunch of petulant fucking kids. That yeah. are not getting along and not appreciating that, hey, you know, what if we are lucky in our being? You know, we are lucky. Jeez, sweet. Mm-hmm. what if we are? Even if we're just an accident and there was no divine intervention whatsoever. Oh, come on. Yeah. You know, and I just know there's a way to do things. I don't have the answers to it, but I know that Mother Gaia, what is, and the shamans of the world like you and all of us that know there's a better way, even though we don't know what it is, I know that we're supposed to be talking about it. I know that if you don't talk about it, you know what, people can call me crazy, you know, and it makes me laugh, dude. I, it was so lonely at the top. <laughs> When I, back in the day when I was figuring this shit out, I couldn't talk to anybody, man. Because you know what? Sure, probably, you know. Yeah, but I pray, I say, I say my prayers that night, you know. I'm not uh, this trippy, crazy, dude. I I say amen and God bless my family I miss and bless the ones I love. I pray to them all, man. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Dude, whatever whatever good ones are out there and listening, you can help someone out over there, over there. Do that for me, man. You know? Yeah. And I yeah. did have, you know, now this is the thing, man. I was the guy with his hands out looking for the riddle, okay? Never done any drugs, never really done weed, never done anything, you know? I didn't do heavy shit until, like, almost after, or right before the den, right? And then, psilocybin stropharia mexicana.
2: Wait, so when did you start smoking pot? At, at, I didn't at, smoking
1: pot until my friends, I think I was probably 20... Shit, I don't even know. I just before I met you because my arthritis was bad, and my friends were like, "Dude, you need to get high." And I'm like, "No, my lungs are clean. I do not want your devil weed." And uh, but eventually, I got high. And so, but
2: all yeah. through high school and after high
1: school, nothing. You, you Can you believe pot. it, dude? Nothing, uh, dude. I, I was the buffer. No, nope, I'm going into the Coast Guard. No drugs, no weed, nothing. I am straight, man. You could test me. You could drink my pee, bro. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you, but you look like you were stoned. Were you, were you oh, wearing yeah, your hair got crazy? T- all yeah. crazy back then. Oh yeah. Yeah. So People you could not believe it. High you don't smoke. Nope. Yeah.
1: But once I got high, it was a small gateway drug, and I, it helped my arthritis. And uh, I did a quarter of mushrooms one night. And let me tell you, I had my third eye glow out of my head the crown chakra did swirl and a fuchsia ball landed on my fucking face okay (laughs) and i had somebody witness it uh there was also mushrooms but to have the, the both of them coincide what they saw and what i felt larry mr scientist guy said i'm gonna go figure out what that was so the next day Having no idea what area of the brain that was, I bought a book on the human brain anatomy. Found out it was the pineal gland. I bought a book on um, hallucinogens and shamans. Terrence McKenna, uh, Invisible Landscape. I bought a book. And on before,
2: before that, you had no exposure to these things. No
1: exposure. No. I went out the next day to Barnes and Nobles to be the scientist I am and answer some fucking questions, bro. So mm-hmm. I came back with seven books. Uh, holographic theory of the universe by Pob and Baum, the uh, Terence McKenna the shamans the anatomy of the human brain zachariah sitchin the ancient sumerians in our culture and our upbringing i spent the next 2 years reading what
2: what made you get that one what made you what made the the, the mushroom taking experience made you to uh, zachariah sitchin the
1: the idea that I had heard it mentioned that the basis of that was in Anunnaki, that Terrence, in the same area in Barnes & Nobles, he was mm-hmm. in this consciousness area. And it was about, you know, they who from heaven to earth came. It was something that I was, you know, it, I, ha, I didn't know what to do, and I thought this felt very, the way that it felt, man, was very archaic, and it felt very spice-ish, as in... Almost like an old, I mean, when I was actually having the, what they call a crown chakra, which is a heightened state of awareness that people do in transcendental states. I learned that now. But at the time, I didn't know what the fuck it was. Mm -mm. So that old spice smell, it just had that feeling, man. And uh, it turns out that I wasn't very far off at all, the, you know, the Anunnaki and the ancient Sumerians were very, very much in touch with the gods and from they who heaven to earth came, the creators. The the story that exactly ties into the Bible and the biblical interpretation of our origins and the Genesis. It's just different words, different people, but same things and a hell of a lot older. So yeah,
2: yeah. Those so, what books, you, so what so What happened? So what happened to you once you once you started reading these books.
1: Once I read these books, I. Until I really crossed into Terrence and him talking about the dome and these places that I had been to in Transcendental Dreams, I believe, I had never, ever heard or seen anything. Oh, I also got a book by Linda Moulton Howe because it was about aliens. And I didn't know where all this shit tied in, man. I just tried to get a, a, a spectrum of things. that I'm like, it's, someone's got to talk about this shit. Well, sure enough... The Sumerians, the pharaohs had fuchsia balls of light that would descend upon people in states of awareness to give gifts and guidance. It was just a little thing. And I went, okay, I've I've got a piece here. And then Terence, okay, he brings up, you know, the wording and the way I knew that I was not crazy. I knew that I was not alone, that... This is repeatable, that there is something special that happened to me. And as I read and read, the responsibility grew and grew, and the weight on me became more and more to find a way to articulate these things and make it digestible for people because, you know, my, my hands were out and something reached out and grabbed my hands and said, here you go, bro. Here's a big part of this riddle. And, and, did, did, I, did, and did
2: all this kind of dovetail with what you had already experienced growing up with all the, yes, all the lucid dreams? Yes, it raves? was all
1: a pinnacle meant to meet at that point for that time, a slow rearing, a slow cooking, a slow simmering of not overwhelming but allowing me to be able to digest these things. And come back with something that I think I, I I can give to people that maybe are like me out there and wondering, am I, you know, eh, am I crazy? Am I the only one, you know? And I, I, hey, if for any other reason than it gave me, ha-ha, God, I'm not alone. You know, it was just a beautiful thing. And I read the Bible. The Bible has a lot of great stuff in it, too, man. I'm, I am an overall independent research scientist on the evolution of consciousness and humanity. And I have that's no your, that's your
2: new That's your new Twitter handle? Your new, your new, new Twitter yes.
1: bio? Aspiring crazy alien shithead that thinks he's something he's not and just holding on to sanity at the brink of a hair. <laughs> well,
2: hey, if, you, if you're if you right, if you're right, you're poised you're to help a lot of people. If you're wrong, then... At least you go down thinking that you're right.
1: Yeah, well, at least, I, at least I'm acknowledging it. And that's the thing. When I turned away... This is the trippy part. When I kind of just said, you know what, fuck this shit. I don't have time. Like, I I didn't pay attention to this shit. Not this shit. I shouldn't say that. I looked away from it for about that 10, 15 years, dude. Of doing really?
3: Work.
1: Yeah, and my life... My life was so different because... And this way of thinking and this being in touch with that voice, whatever it is to you that maybe is the voice in the back in the crowd in your head that's not yelling, but it's no, you know it's the one that you should be listening to. But it's not going to stand up in front and get your attention. It's that one that you're in the back, man, that I didn't pay attention to that I should have. And it tied into a lot of shit, man. Like I wasn't drawing. I wasn't writing. I wasn't playing drums. There's a whole thing about building myself back up from little – pieces at a time That seems to be an overwhelming shaman thing man that I, I get stripped down and built back up and stripped down and built back up and adapting and i i want to find right now my biggest goal and everything i want to do is find a way to to bring people towards something that could be nothing else to them but look walk outside smell the air and just for a second marvel at the fact that you can do that Marvel that you can sit here and ponder that and how delicate that is. And, you know, I don't think we need spaceships to go talking to aliens, dude. I don't think we need to go flying somewhere else. I think they've been here. have always been here. There may be us. I believe that whatever it is means well. But I also know that, uh, you know, it's a very sketchy topic, and I just – I know that if I don't do anything when I didn't talk to them, I don't like when they're, I don't like when I don't have this feeling that if I get really deep and heavy that that I can't seek some guidance from whatever it is.
2: Mm -hmm. And do you?
1: They they definitely get pissed off or just like anything. Whatever thing you pray to man, if you don't pay attention to it and you don't respect it, it it just kind of goes, okay. And and i felt the void for a long time. And it feels nice to have gotten it back recently and acknowledge it again and tell the truth that my whole life has been reared for something that I've yet to really understand, but I'm going to give it one hell of a go in figuring it out because I don't think that all the authors that I've read could fit so tightly into a ball where it's quantum physics, holographic theory, uh, psilocybin, Lenmontown and the aliens transcendentalism and overall just giving a shit about each other. I, I just I can't stress enough that these old traditions that we are are clinging on to it's just it's just not going to work in the future and I'm really hoping that the youth and the religious and color barriers and I know that the financial the financial situations are always going to be something that's supply and demand, and people that have and have not, and that's always going to be something. Well, no one can be equal; nothing can be that easy. But I just—I don't agree. I, I'm not the guy with the answers, but I know there's a way to do shit a hell of a lot better.
2: Yeah, yeah, that—that that seems to be uh, pretty obvious. But um, now, what do we do? Well, and so um, we can we can wrap this up. We've been talking for a good sh- hour. and Six minutes and thirteen seconds now. But what's uh, before I, I let you go? I want to hear. So now that you've uh, you've come back around to this kind of the this shamanistic thinking and feeling like you've got a purpose and not quite sure what it is. And what do you uh, can you articulate what you what do you, what do, you, what, do, you, what, do you, what are you going to do with all this stuff that's accumulated in your life and and what's the next uh, what's the next step for you?
1: Um, right now, dude, the next step for me is I'm going to do, like I said, put these little pieces of the acting career that I had together and I'm going to, I'm going to first get an income. <laughs> I I need to get some income generated while I'm loving what I do. But eventually, Bob, I want to, I want to, I think I want to write a movie. I want to. I want to take some of these image. I want to get into digital animation and things like that because a lot of these things that are in my head, uh, telling it wouldn't be the same as if I showed you and put it to music and was able to recreate these things. Mm-hmm. I think. I think the the thing that I've always strove for was to be able to tell the story in a way and show it to where you can actually grasp. You can just get a different perspective of it, and. Yeah, just uh, I want to be a multimedia man. I want to do it all. I'm gonna. Well, I'm gonna, were you
2: will you want to. Are you gonna do it? You gonna do it? it I'm happening? making
1: music in two weeks. I'm, my buddy's writing. My buddy's gonna help me do this thing because he already likes it. And it's about shamans and Mother Gaia. And I'm gonna freestyle rap and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna have good and make people feel good. I'm gonna write. I'm gonna go do a couple more interviews with. Uh, you know, I want to call Linda Moulton Howe, dude, and I want to take, cause see Linda Moulton Howe. She's the first person that I saw that tied in the shamans with the aliens and the place of the whole thing, that we're we're supposed to do something. We're supposed to bring balance to something when something's out of order, but I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to do to do that. I'm just going to throw shit against the wall and see what sticks and hope something comes out right.
2: But as a shaman, what do you think? I mean, you, do, you, do you consider yourself a shaman? Or are you an aspiring shaman? And what about, what what about, what is it about shamanism that's attracted to you?
1: The thing that's attracted to me, man, is that I usually end up being one without knowing it. I mean, just helping somebody is one thing, you know, I'm always, I'll let you in and I'll let you in if you're cutting in front of me. You know, uh, you need a blinker, you know, whatever. I, I, the, the things that I like to do, I like to talk to people. I like to ask people, you know, I know I'm doing all the talking now, but I like to hear people and talk to people and see how they're maybe not as happy as they could be. And if everybody was doing that, we'd all be a little bit happier, man. As far as a shaman, I'm going out guns and blazes. They're the caring about respecting Mother Earth, the healing portions. The, you know, I don't really – I'm not going out and getting people loaded on mushrooms and having a little sweat hut and going to perform, you know, yeah. <laughs> transcendental meditation with everybody, although it doesn't sound like a bad idea further myself to the best that I can so that I can get whatever messages that I get and whatever I can do to eventually, man, aren't we supposed to help people somehow? That's the whole idea. We're supposed to help people, right?
2: Is that the main message, the, the main theme that's been drummed in your head by all these encounters over the years? Is that what's what, – as, as a as somebody who uh, wants to be a shaman aspires to to be that, you think, is it just about – Helping people is, is, is it, does anybody in our culture who helps people? Well, I mean, what's, what's a, what distinguishes a, a shaman? Is my, I guess is my question
1: well, in your eyes. Is a shaman by definition is probably the best way to 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 say that a shaman is supposedly or one who makes sense of the voices. A lot of times they refer to them as discontinent or dead voices, but that's not necessarily true. Although it doesn't mean that, that is not involved making sense. Of the voices, to the best of my ability, to give—I think—eventually, or someone else, if they give it first, the right message. Agree with them, but I need to stay as open-minded right now at this particular juncture because this is a huge time in, in humanity. The I Ching theory came to an end very recently. Um, you know, the, the the whole circle of life and the timing. I don't know if you're familiar with the I Ching theory and the, the long count and. The 4,000-year no. cycle, and then the missing planet, dock It's on an orbit that coincides with the extinctions and the ice ages and everything else. We're at a pinnacle time right now that has been happening for as long as we've been keeping track. And I'm very, we're all very lucky to be alive because this doesn't happen all the time. And I'm just trying to keep myself open and aware because in my mind, a shaman is supposed to be here to whatever wiggle, whatever giggle, whatever little... Space that we can fill to try and somehow communicate the overall message of evolving humanity. Whatever, maybe maybe I'll come up with some uh, magnet uh, thing in one of my dreams that comes back is actually applicable to something, and science gets jumped forward. Maybe you know, there's digital all...
2: digital shaman. You want to be a digital shaman? How does that how does that happen? What's that look like? A digital age. A digital age, shaman.
1: Yeah, i I definitely, uh, I definitely am going to do my part to bring light to the fact that, you know, i don't I don't feel we're alone, and I know that religion has a huge point with that, man. And I think that's one of our biggest problems right now is that people are not just respecting the fact that we have different things to pray to and let it be and just respect each other and be cool instead of the holy word thing that it'd be nice to have something pop down and go hey guess what you're all wrong check me out <laughs> 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 yeah good point and
2: with that i think we should wrap that up man that's a good one right. that's a good one to go out on hey check us out um Dang man, that was good. I hope I got all
1: this. Yeah, those. I, I'll be honest with you, man. I, you know me, I, I could tell if you don't keep me on track. I'll fucking, I drift, dude. I will fucking, I get so okay. far off topic, man.
2: <laughs> but that's the beauty of podcasts that you can go off, you can go off topic, and that's that's what a lot of a lot of them are actually.
1: But I, but I want to talk about the fact that the way that you wrote that thing for me, man. I know you gotta wrap this up, but it was That's so right. beautiful, man, and you're writing and I just watched Frat Rats the other day man just just to hear the way that you wrote Bud's intro and his outro the the heart and the feeling and the way that you write, dude. it's the way that you put stuff together that makes you you can feel you knowing you i can feel I can feel Bob's love when I read your shit, man, you're really. You're really something else, dude. We, we got you got to write something. You got to, I know you're writing shit, but we got you need to be, people need you. Do you want to know what you as a shaman do? Okay. By you doing those frat rat things and you writing that shit, that energy, that love, that is changing shit. That's making people think outside of the box. That's, that's, the, that's you answering what you asked me that you do.
2: By writing a show about drunk fraternity guys uh, for, the, for the Internet 15 years ago? That doesn't seem yeah. very yeah. shamanistic to me.
1: It's shamanistic. It's shamanistic because for that second, <clears throat> you are making people go to a different place and feel something pretty damn good.
2: Well, there's yeah, also also be be there were some, some frat guys with a conscience also. They weren't all just terrible people.
1: Yeah, they were good ones. You're... I don't know, man. You're just—you're a voice that needs to be heard, and I sure as hell hope that I get to work with you. And uh, I miss Let's you.
2: We're we'll <laughs> <laughs> sending a cross-country hug right now, Larry. All right,
1: man. So I guess th- we have to hang up, right? Because we don't want to record all this shit. I don't know what's going on. All right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Good, man. So hey, I'm gonna—I'm gonna put this. This. I think this is gonna be the first—the like, first episode. Two degrees of Bob. How about that? I'll do a little intro, and there'll be some music playing, and then it'll go right into our conversation. And it'll, And then I'll just let it, the whole thing play. And then when we're done, I'll, I'll find that end point and do, do a little mu- music transition, a little outro, and boom. You got an episode. That's simple.
1: All right. Well, I hope I don't make you look too bad and people don't go, why the hell would Bob Mackley, respectable writer, get this nut job to start talking?
2: I'm talking to everybody, man. I'm talking. To, I'm going to talk to as many people as I possibly can. You're just the first one in a, in a series of many, hopefully. All
1: right, Bob. Thank you very much, man.
2: Okay, man. We'll talk later, and uh, I would love to see some of your material once once you get this stuff going. So keep yeah, posted. Yeah, okay.
1: I'm ready. I'm getting the balls are here. The stuff's there. I feel like I'm just rehearsed enough, but I'm still over rehearsing because. You know, I still need to get my jokes just perfect. I still need a paper in front of me, and they're not flying off the top of my tongue like they should. And I don't want to go out and freeze up. You know what I'm saying? Practice mm-hmm. is gonna make perfect.
3: Yeah.
1: And I'm gonna go and have a good time, man. Play some Sorry. guitar, play some drums, make people laugh, and tell them about uh, be careful when you dream because an alien might crawl out of your ass. <laughs> 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 All right, later,
0: Bob. See you later. It's on my side. Alright, that's it. Episode number two of Two Degrees of Bod podcast in the can. Thanks for being with us. Thanks to my friend and guest Larry Zeno. Hopefully we'll be checking in with him down the road and seeing how all his stuff plays out. The music today is supplied by his friend Christo Panos. Check him out on SoundCloud or iTunes and in the meantime thanks for being with us and we'll see you uh, real soon here on Two Degrees of Bob.